Hey, Pop. Mm. Can I ask you a question? How come you ain't never liked me? Like you? What law is there say I got to like you? None. All right, then. Don't you eat every day? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you eat every day? Yeah. As long as you're in my house, you put a sir on the end of it when you talk to me. Yes, sir. You eat every day. Yes, sir. Got a roof over your head. Yes, sir. Got clothes on your back. Yes, sir. Why do you think that is? Because of you. <laughs> I know it's because of me, but why do you think that is? Because you like me? Like you. I go out of here every morning. I bust my butt because I like you. You're about the biggest fool I ever saw. A man is supposed to take care of his family. You live in my house, fill your belly with my food, put your behind on my bed because you're my son. It's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. I ain't got to like you. Now, I don't give you everything I got to give you. I give you your life. Me and your mama worked that out. Between us and liking your wasn't part of the bargain. Now, don't you go through life worrying about whether somebody like you or not. You best be making sure that they're doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying? Everything that boy do, he do for you. It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for 18 years. Well, I've been standing with you. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. That was a movie, Fences, out last year. I think it won Best Picture, didn't it? No, 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 that was La La Land. No, 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 that was actually... Just being a little snarky, that's all. Um, first thought when I saw that preview, I thought, boy, I'm really glad that Denzel Washington's character, Troy, that he wasn't my dad growing up, right? And that, that, would, that would be kind of a rough deal, right? It, what, if, what if that character was actually our Heavenly Father, right? God the Father? Wouldn't that be a rough deal? I created you, I set you in the world, but I don't have to like you. Wouldn't that be horrible if that was God? And, and perspective of uh, Him in that way? In fact, that's not a picture of God. In fact, He says uh, not only that He likes us, but he loves us d deeply, that he wants to be um, our Lord, our Savior, our Father in heaven. He wants his compassion and his deep affection uh, for us to flow continually from his throne room. Um, a number of us saw the shack this past week. Thank you to Kelly Ware and Outreach Marketing. They gave a hundred tickets to our church so we could see it. One of the lines uh, that really stuck out to me was that the, the father figure um, would say continually, I am particularly fond of that one when he would talk about his children. And the main character would say, is there anyone that you're not particularly fond of? And she said, nope, I haven't found one yet. I thought, wow, our Heavenly Father is particularly fond of me and you, that, that he really cares deeply. His heart breaks for us when we're hurting. He rejoices with us in our moments 
of joy. He is that, that good, good father to you and I, whether we recognize it or not. Part of our family series, um, I wanted to include a, a week that, that pressed in and, and caused us to think a little bit about parenting, about uh, boundaries, about discipline, about all those things. And I really didn't want it to be just a, a message that connected with those of us who are parents and we, we think about um, our kids and how to raise and the significant challenge of being parents. But I, want, I was longing for a, a message that would go beyond that, that each and every one of us would be able to connect uh, with this idea that God is first and foremost our Father, that He's longing to shepherd us, that He's longing to parent us if we would allow Him. And then, and then actually what we can do according to Scripture is that we can look at His parenting, we can look at His shepherding of us and we can learn from that, not only in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, but also we can learn from Him of how we shepherd others, how we disciple others, how we parent others, that we can look at God the Father in the rhythms in which He does those, and we can learn and appreciate who He is as God our Father, but then also that we can be like Him towards others in this way. Does that sound kind of intriguing? In fact, uh, would you turn with me to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. We've been in the Old Testament a lot, and we're going to look at a story, an ancient story in chapter 2, where there is a father, earthly father, Eli, and he does a very poor job of parenting his two boys. And it has a profound effect on Eli's life, the, the life of his boys, um, as well as uh, the whole community of faith. Because Eli was the uh, high priest, the, the, the main priest over the tabernacle or the tent of meetings. And his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, or I like to remember them as Phineas and Ferb. It's just easier that way. And they're supposed to be priests as well. They're in the family line. And they're messing up. In fact, they are dirty, rotten scoundrels. If you look at chapter 2, verse 12, in fact, Scripture even refers to them. What a bummer is that, huh? It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. Scripture names them as scoundrels. These are the priests of God's tent of meetings, tabernacle. It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. They were the priests, and they had no sense of the sacred calling that they had been entrusted with, their family line had been entrusted with. And they were just doing what they wanted. Part of the ritual was that people would bring a food offering or a sacrifice, and as uh, giving food to the priests, the priests, once they started to boil the, the meat... After the sacrifice, the priest could stick a fork in it, and whatever that fork brought out, he could eat. 
Well, that wasn't good enough for Phineas and Ferb, right? They didn't want all the nice juicy fat to be boiled off, so they wanted it raw so they could get the best parts. And if a parishioner who is coming to, to sacrifice in there, they're like, hey, this isn't right. That's not custom. You got to boil it first. They would blow it off and just take the meat anyways, right? And then there was an, another thing where they were sleeping with the women that were part of the ritual of the faith. So they were doing all sorts of rotten stuff. And the people of Israel were hearing it. And they were upset, and they were saying, Eli, you need to do something. You need to address. So eventually, finally, Eli, we're going to pick up the story. Look at verse 17 in chapter 2. It says, the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. And if you jump to, we'll pick up the story in verse 22 when Eli finally talks to them about it. He says, says, Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything, like uh, everything his sons were doing to all Israel, how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? The answer is, priests will intercede. What do you do when it's the priest sinning against the Lord? They're in trouble. His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. It's a little bit challenging of a sentence there, but what that means is Eli's confrontation was too late, too little. They weren't responding, and God was fed up, and he was done. And if Eli would not bring discipline to his sons, then God would step in and do it. And he does. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with his people. Samuel was not a son of Eli, and God was going to raise Samuel up as a good prophet, a righteous prophet and priest. Now, a man of God, probably another prophet, unnamed, came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestors out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priests. Eli's family, the heritage, God had blessed them this incredible honor of being the priest of his tabernacle to go up to my altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offering presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? By fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made, 
by my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that members of your family would minister for me, uh, before me forever. But now the Lord deca- declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. And he goes on to pronounce Um, The judgment of his family, far be it from me. I had promised this from the ancestors, but you have a part to play, Eli. Your sons have a part to play. And far be it to me to let the consequences of your sin, of your offense, not to play out in your life. So it will. Now, a very convicting story, but... uh, For the first time, I've always read this story, and I compare Phineas and Ferb and their life and Samuel and his response to the Lord. But this was the first time that at reading over the story, I began to compare two different things, compare Eli's parenting and shepherding with that of God's parenting and shepherding. I said, I think that there's something there for us that the Lord wants us to see and understand and apply in our lives. So let's take a moment and look at, if we put that lens on this scripture and say, how does God shepherd us? How does God want to walk with us and truly be our heavenly father? Look at verse 29. He said this, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? Do you think that maybe some of us are in danger of honoring our kids above the Lord in our lives? Is there a danger in there? I got one yes. One yes, maybe a few others, yeah? Is there a danger of honoring other people, other things beyond the Lord? Could I get a few more yeses in that? Yeah, so that's part of human nature, isn't it? It's not just Eli. It's all of us. There's always a danger that we would honor other things, other people. I see it all the time especially with our kids, when we allow their interests or their activity, their sports to dominate their lives and ours. Can you relate to that? Yeah? You ever just feel like a taxi driver? Right? You're, you're serving all these, and you know what? Before we know it, our kids think that they are the center of the universe, not God. And we miss it. Now, at a deeper level, I think this speaks to purpose of shepherding or purpose 
of parent. I'm more and more convinced that part of the kingdom life is asking the question, what is the purpose behind this? Why did God uh, create this? For example, marriage. What's God's purpose in marriage? How do we live in that, into that? What's our purpose of faith and spiritual growth? What, what's that? What, what's the purpose of parenting and shepherding? And I think there's times when we can miss the forest for the trees. We can miss the big idea of purpose, and we get caught in little purposes. What is the purpose of parenting? You know, right at the very beginning, way back in Genesis, when God calls the patriarch of our faith, Abraham, he said this, he, he gives all these promises, I will make you into a great nation, and so forth, and then he says, and this is what you're supposed to do, to direct his children, Abraham, and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. That's how you, you direct your children to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Paul restates that in Ephesians 6, 4. He says this. Do we have that passage, Stephen? Yes. He says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. First and foremost, did you know that the Lord shepherds us with purpose? He has a calling on our lives. And he's wanting to call us into the purpose that he has for us. That has been the calling and purpose from the beginning that we would walk in the way of the Lord and do good and uh, do justice and that we would raise our kids above all everything else that our kids would love and follow the Lord Jesus and our Heavenly Father. Do you think that we think enough about that big idea? that forest, or do we get lost in some of the smaller things in our shepherding of others, especially of our parenting? Do you think we get lost? We, we miss that overall purpose, right? To be completely honest with you, I, I think sometimes my default purpose of parenting is this. I just don't want to raise my kids up to be jerks. Is that okay to say? Yeah. The world has enough jerks, right? And I really don't want my kids to be jerks, right? That, that's not really a high calling. It's not bad, right? It's not bad, but, but that's part of it. And, and then you start to learn, in, well, I, I do really want them beyond just being good people. I also, I want them to, to contribute to this world, to, to make a difference, to live with purpose in their lives. And then I, yes, I want them to have joy. I want them the, a level of, uh, of uh, meaning, meaningful joy and purpose. Throw in some, some I'd like education and wealth, all, all these things I, I start to layer in with my parenting. And yet the big idea is this, that they would know and love the person that knit them together in their mother's womb that they would know and love, that they have a heavenly father who is desperately in love with them, has plans and purposes, and is inviting them again and again. And sometimes I serve these smaller purposes 
and I miss the big purpose. Yes, sometimes, occasionally. God, God is inviting us to see that he shepherds us with this purpose and that the grand purpose of our lives is that we would love our Father with everything we've got, that we'd love Jesus and his spirit with all the things that we have. There's other purposes there, but that, that central one is purpose. Still remember a crucial conversation when, when Luke was still pretty young and he was feeling his way and he was being a little snarky with me. And he was challenging. And uh, I just, he was, he was, I think maybe in middle school or wrestling through this. And I said, hey, buddy, let's, let's pull back a second and let's talk about our roles. And, uh, and he was kind of challenging uh, with a, a little bit of Jesus thrown in there. You know how people tend to do that. I said, let's talk about what Jesus would want. You know, there is one of the big 10 commandments that talks about <laughs> kids and parents. And it uses the word to honor. Are you honoring me in this conversation? I kind of evaporated the snarkiness pretty fast. But then the, the second piece was this. I said, do you know that I have a role to play? That the best I can, I'm going to make mistakes, but... I'm trying the best I can to shepherd you so that you would know that you have a God who loves you and he knows you from the inside out and he's got plans and purposes and part of that is I need to bring a little bit of challenge on a regular basis. You get that? Do you know it was that conversation that kind of set that relationship in a different way, right? Started to move and I just kept reminding that myself especially of purpose and the end game with Luke and the others. Now, there's another, um, there's another principle, I would say, of shepherding and parenting that, that is demonstrated here in the story, and that is that God provides wise counsel and warning. Wise counsel and warning. And Eli does that. He seeks to do that. As we had mentioned, too little, too late, he says that. But that's all through scripture. If you think about especially the wisdom books, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, like Proverbs, like Psalms, like Job, there's this continual flow of God's wisdom. God is trying to communicate wise counsel and sometimes warnings, like Proverbs 7 where again, wisdom is saying, now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. It's again, Father, through Scripture, sometimes through others, he's saying, I will give you counsel. And then he says, and there's another way to do this. There's another way to do life, and I'm going to warn you, it's not a good way. It's an unhealthy way. Do not let your hearts turn to her ways. He's talking about adultery and so forth. So God's heart is to impart wisdom to us. Old Testament and then especially in the New Testament where Jesus lives wisdom. He says, look at my life and grow in wisdom. He says, and I'm going to give you my spirit 
The shepherd's voice will be in your soul. Listen to that and live wisely. My mom told me uh, the story of her biggest struggle in parenting. When she, uh, my oldest sister, she's seven years older than me, and she, it was when my sister was about five years old. And my mom was, uh, she was an orphan for a while. Then she went into abusive foster home. And then finally she was adopted into uh, a good Baptist family. And they had some, they were old school parenting, but some, so she had some level of healthy models of parenting, but some really unhealthy levels. And she got exasperated. My sister was about five years old as she told the story. She was exhausted. You know what she did? She turned to God in prayer. And she said, help. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm making mistakes. This isn't going well. I don't know what to do. Help me. And her testimony was that was a changing point in her parenting. When the Spirit of God began to lead her in how, in every conversation, in every disciplinary uh, emphasis, in all of those things, she began to parent seeking the Lord's wisdom and counsel with each of the kids. And outside of my brother, it turned out pretty well. I'm just... (laughs) And so what she would say is, uh, she used to say this, that... There was now, in hindsight, she wished she wrote books because then the healthy parenting books started to come out and they were putting all the things that the Lord taught her into books. She was saying there was an old school way of parenting and then there was a a new kind of, it was, uh, she mentioned uh, Dr. Spock, 1970s, and kind of swung the other pendulum, uh, the pendulum to the other side and said, no, 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 there was a centerpiece that the Spirit kept speaking into her life and that led. And part of that led to another principle which we don't see modeled by Eli and perhaps as one of his biggest mistakes is that God allows consequences and he delivers discipline. That healthy shepherding, and that's really what Eli misses, is consequences and discipline. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful not to discipline them. Now, does that scripture mean that we should use a rod in our disciplining? (laughs) No. All right. What that means is if you neglect discipline, you're really going to ruin your kid's life. All right. All right. Now, God is a God of restoration and healing. But the, the point is, is discipline matters. Proverbs nineteen eighteen. discipline your children, for in that there is hope that they'll learn some lessons. Do not be a willing party to their death. If you miss, if you, if you skip the discipline, that's where the, the culture of my mom's parenting was moving into, you're a friend of the child, you care for them. There's some good things in that, but don't neglect discipline. You're to lead your your child. Picture of God's shepherding. He, He speaks to us. He warns us. 
And yet at the same time, he allows us to make stupid mistakes, doesn't he? And he allows consequences to bear on those stupid, stupid mistakes. Yes? Do you see it? My brother, if you know him, this story won't surprise you, but he was really interested in um, what would happen if you mixed gasoline on bushes, all right? And so my parents were out, and so he took that time, because my sister was babysitting, so of course she was reading up in her bedroom. And he uh, took gasoline, he poured it on the bushes, all right, and then he lights the bushes, whoosh, up, all right. He managed to put it out, okay, it went huge, and he was in the bathroom, and then finally uh, Becky uh, awoke from her book that she was reading, and she saw the bushes and all that, and she says, Bruce, are you okay? And he opens the door, he says, do you think mom will notice? And he had shins uh, uh, burned all his eyebrows and his, the front. I'm sure they didn't notice at all. I don't remember, I was the youngest. Now, I was thinking about how in, in God's shepherding of us, he allows natural consequences to us, doesn't he? He allows us, we have this longing for freedom in our lives. And yet he allows us to make some stupid mistakes. And sometimes we get burned, literally, in that. We began the series with this axis of grace and truth, if you remember and I thought, you know, the, the same thing would apply to parenting and shepherding is there's a combination of love and discipline. And, and if you think about the, if there's a quadrant of high love but low discipline, in a similar way to grace and truth, it would be a cozy family, a loving family, right? Do you have that first word? I, I want to make sure I'm doing that. Oh, or if it's, if it's, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be legalistic. If there's high discipline and there's low love, it can feel legalistic. Were, were some of you raised in that kind of environment, right? What's the next one, Stephen? Low love, low discipline. That's pretty much nothing going on. Maybe some of us were raised in that. I have a good friend who just said, yeah, parents, you know, they're good people. They just didn't do a whole lot. The high love, the low discipline, that's cozy. The high love, high discipline, that's empowered. You ever think about where the Lord would fall there? It's pretty obvious, right? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, he, he loves us abundantly. And yet he does discipline us. I'm convinced sometimes he simply allows the natural course of consequences to unfold in our lives. And then there's other times he brings consequences. He brings discipline. Yes? Yeah? All right. Let's see. Let's go to our, our final one. Oh, I wanted to give you this one phrase. This isn't in your outline but this was really helpful for me. And here's the phrase, that God gives us freedom within limits. Freedom within limits. 
And so I think part of human nature is our desire to be free, our, our desire to make decisions, our desire to make choices. And that same desire is within our kids, is to make choices. That same desire is in the people that we're dis, uh, discipling. And yet at the same time, we have a longing for security. Especially our kids, we need that sense of boundaries. We need that sense of someone saying, hey, by the way, when you step over this line, oftentimes it has consequences. And so there's this sense that, that God says, I, I know you long for freedom. I've created you with the ability to choose. And yet also the sense of, of safety. And so I'm going to lay out for you good living. I'm going to lay out for you boundaries of life and what to do. Boundaries in marriage, right? Uh, boundaries in joy. Boundaries in all of these things. And I, I want you to know there's tremendous freedom in following me. And yet I want you to know there's times you can step over and there's going to be consequences. Isn't that good parenting? Isn't that empowering to folks? It's providing for that sense of curiosity and desire, and yet at the same time, the need for safety. Now, here's the final point. That in the New Testament in particular, it is true in the Old Testament, but especially in the New Testament, he provides forgiveness and restoration. That's what we engaged in in, in communion. That we're going to make mistakes. He said, I've paid for those mistakes. I knew you were going to do that. I've paid for those. And he forgives and he restores. Listen to what Paul says in the context of not parenting but the church. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Can we go back to that matrix for a second, those words? I think this has something to say to us about our view of our Heavenly Father. Have you seen Him as a God who deeply loves you and yet also disciplines you? I think sometimes we get angry at God because we're perceiving him as sometimes a legalistic God or sometimes our expectation is that he's cozy and we miss this idea that God is trying to shepherd us well if we'll let him. In fact, in Hebrews 12.7 it says, endure hardship and discipline. God is treating you as his children. Isn't that interesting? Like that's part of his heart. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't neglect discipline. He wants to do all of that. And sometimes we make judgments about God because we have this wrong idea of who he's trying to be in our lives. And then oftentimes we miss and mistake as we treat others. And yet, praise God, there's forgiveness 
there's restoration. Would you pray with me? Father, we uh, so often have skewed views of you and who you are in our lives. Lord God, sometimes we view you from our own prideful places, our own broken places. And yet your desire is that we would see you as the father that you are. Lord, I confess that I, uh, I most often experience your discipline as a why me, God, that's not fair. Lord, help us to recognize your voice, your fingerprints, your work in our lives. Thank you for your deep and abiding love for us. Thank you for your discipline in our lives. In your precious and powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together in response. Use this time to listen to the Spirit. All the poor and powerless and all the lost and lonely and all the thieves will come, come
does not have to like you. He does not have to love you, but he does. Hallelujah. Yeah. Would you go and walk trusting him as your good father? He loves you so much. He will not neglect the discipline in our lives because his desire is that your soul would grow, that you'd love him with everything you've got. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God bless you.